Hi, and welcome to Ear Tours American History. This podcast is to tell stories of American history as told by Doug McCormick, a tour guide and history enthusiast and co-hosted by his daughter, Brianna McCormick, who doesn't remember dates and facts about anything despite being told several times. We hope you enjoy these stories. Let us know if you have any feedback. Thank you for listening. What are we talking about today? Well, we're talking about the last of the Virginia dynasty presidents. Okay. Who is that? That's James Monroe. Okay. So we've talked about uh, George Washington, of course, our our first president. And then uh, the third third president is Thomas Jefferson, Virginian. And then fourth president, James Madison. And then the fifth president is James Monroe. So Washington, Jefferson, Madison, Monroe are all Virginian. That's why they called it the Virginia dynasty. Uh, Monroe, being the last of them, really doesn't get nearly as much uh, publicity as Washington, Jefferson, and Madison. Uh, but he had a very distinguished career. In fact, was the um, book that I'm fundamentally using is called The Last Founding Father by Harlow Unger. Um, And I'm quoting from that book uh, right now. It says, uh, Monroe had more public posts than any American in history. He was a state legislator, U.S. congressman, U.S. senator, ambassador to France and Britain, minister to Spain, four-term governor of Virginia, U.S. secretary of state, U.S. secretary of war, and finally, America's fifth president. So yeah, pretty, his resume has enough on it. I think he could have done a little more there. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it's, uh, you know, that's that's historic as far as, like I said, the number of posts that he has held, uh, you know, in public office. But mm. as I say, there's, unless you're kind of really into the history, uh, everybody knows Washington, Jefferson, and Madison, not so much Monroe. But but if you go on a tour, like I could lead you, or whoever wants to go into Virginia, uh, it's very easy to visit uh, Monroe's place because it's very close to Monticello. So Mount Vernon for Washington, Monticello for Jefferson, Montpelier for Madison. But very close to Monticello is uh, one of Monroe's places called Ashlawn Highland, or mostly they refer to it as Highland. So, they refer to it as what? Highlander? Highland. Highland. Just, yeah. H-I-E-H-L-A-N-D. Hmm. So it's not within 10 miles or so of Monticello. Well, in fact, speaking of that, uh, Monroe and Madison and Jefferson, uh, all Virginians close to each other and all knew each other. And uh, Madison and and Monroe were great friends of uh, Thomas Jefferson. Jefferson 
uh, complimented Monroe one time and said basically there wasn't anybody more that he trusted in terms of public public office or uh, you know keeping his word about things. Oh well, that's high praise. Yeah, it is. Uh, now, in the interest of time, so that we don't you know spend because you could spend two or three hours on this subject of Monroe, but uh, we're going to try and keep it. Uh, to some of the essentials. I'm not going to really go into his presidential time that much. Uh, I'll mention a few things, but uh, we'll talk about his life and, and in particular his uh, wife, Elizabeth. Uh, very interesting. So without further ado, I'll just start in. Uh, Monroe was born in April of 1758. Uh, he marries... Well, as a as a kid, he's kind of a typical Virginia, you know, farm plantation kid. Uh, you know, learns to hunt, uh, learns to shoot. Uh, um, he inherits a five hundred acre farm. Uh, he marries a woman named Elizabeth Jones, and I mention that because, or this is his, this is his mother. I'm sorry. So his father. Hey. He married his mother. Yeah. So his father is, is Spence Monroe. Okay. He marries a woman named Elizabeth Jones. Oh, okay. And I mention that because uh, Elizabeth Jones, it was kind of like, uh, remember uh, George Washington when he married Martha and she was the richest woman in Virginia? Mm -hmm. Well, Monroe, when he marries, uh, or his father marries, Elizabeth Jones, she's one of the most prominent families in uh, that part of Virginia. And so, so they were, like really reaching to well, be in the same level as some of these women, or is this kind of just like a, like, is it advantageous? I think is the term. Well, I mean, it was maybe a little advantageous. It wasn't completely out of his, uh, you know, social stratus, but, uh, uh, Spence Monroe and Elizabeth jo Jones are married, and they are in uh, uh, the part of Virginia that has tremendous amounts of history. Uh, so uh, James Monroe is born in eight, 1758. The birthplace where the Monroes were at the time is close to where George Washington's birthplace was. And uh, Confederate General Robert E. Lee, they're all within, it's called, Lee's place was called Stratford Hall, where he was born. Mm. So, so, you know, within e very easy driving distance, uh, you have the Washington birthplace, the Monroe birthplace, and then Robert E. Lee's birthplace. Um, we'll keep pressing on here in the interest of time. Uh, so Monroe's mother and father, but they both die in 1772. He is 14 years old. One of what happened uh, for both of them to die? Just like they died together? Or they no, just so happy? They, uh, they they died separately, but uh, it just happened to be in the same year. So oh, that's uh, sad. His mother has a brother, so this is Monroe's uncle, and his name is. Uh, Joseph Jones, and he's a judge 
I, I mentioned this because uh, Monroe, when he needs mentorship and then later in life mon money, uh, Judge Jones is there to help over his life. Jones was a friend, friend of uh, Thomas Jefferson and, and had a distinguished career himself. But uh, I just want to kind of as an overall here, uh, Judge Jones was a mentor and a, and a helper of uh, James Monroe after his parents died. It lasted, that help actually lasted quite a while. Hmm. So uh, he's 14 when his parents die, Jones helps. And uh, so as did uh, Jefferson and a lot of prominent Virginians that went to college, uh, Monroe attends the College of William Mary, William and Mary in, in uh, Williamsburg. Mm -hmm. he's, he's there 1774 to 76. Well, guess what's going on? All the incidents leading to the American Revolution are going on. Monroe's a student and he sees some of the protests against uh, what was going on in Virginia. The governor of Virginia was called the Earl of Dunmore at the time and sees, you know, he's, he's a young college student when he sees all the things starting to happen. 1776 comes along, of course, uh, all the American Revolution things that are starting to happen. So Monroe leaves the College of William and Mary and enlists in the Virginia Infantry. Uh, he's in the 3rd Infantry. Just as a quick aside, um, there is another young man. They were basically about the same age and their contemporaries. His name was John Marshall, and they were assigned to the 3rd Virginia Infantry as lieutenants. Uh, if you really know your history, it's the same John Marshall that eventually became the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. Marshall was uh, in, head of the Supreme Court of the United States for 34 years. But they... they um, Anyway, they were they were contemporaries. They were in the Third Infantry, and I'll summarize uh, Monroe's Revolutionary War experience. He was in a number of actions. Uh, he was with Washington when the you know, Continental Army was getting uh, basically their tails kicked, uh, but then they were. Uh, Toward the end of 1776, you might remember that uh, Washington and the, the army, what was left of them, crossed the, the Delaware. The famous, by the way, the famous painting of Washington crossing the Delaware, that's very historic, a lot of people have seen, and it's, it's called the Lutz, L-E-U-T-Z-E. He was the one who painted it. When you, when you look at that painting, uh, Washington standing up in the boat in front, but then right behind him is an uh, officer holding an American flag. And mm -hmm. that, is, that is James Monroe in that, that painting. So you actually have two presidents at once. Yeah, no uh, one knows that. I don't think anyone knows that. I don't know that. <laughs> that, poor, that poor president, just lonely and forgotten back there. Yeah, well, he, he, was, a, he was a brave officer. Um, by the way, they there is a historical inaccuracy on the flag he's holding because it shows the 
the circle with 13 stars, and I don't think that was actually adopted until a year or two later. But uh, then, anyway, that when was the painting done? If they painted it like that, well, there's several inaccuracies. The, The spirit of the painting is actually right on the money, but there's some technical inaccuracies. The boat. Uh, it's not particularly accurate that they, they show them in. The, the real boats were called Durham boats, and they were a lot longer. Um, and the ice in the river wouldn't have looked quite like that. But uh, anyway, that's Monroe. So you actually see two presidents in there. Uh, and you, to- you don't know when the painting was done? Um, I did at one time. I don't remember off the top of my head. It was it was done a few years later, but I can't oh. tell you exactly. But if you see it, you'll know it. You'll go, oh yeah, I remember. That's Washington crossing the Delaware there. Um. Anyway, to keep uh kind of on our timeline here, we'll keep pressing on. Uh, so when they cross the Delaware that night, uh, they go up to a Trenton. There's a battle at Trenton. Uh, Monroe is seriously wounded at that battle in Trenton. He gets shot in the chest and the bullet ends up in his uh, shoulder. He probably would have died, but he was lucky there was a uh, physician close that uh, recognized that he was bleeding and, uh, you know, helped stop the bleeding and he survived. Uh, Later on, he's he, uh, after he recovers, he's with the Continental Army when they were at Valley, Valley Forge, you know, mm-hmm. so he survived the, you know, the cold and the, you know, the encampment at Valley Forge. Uh, he is I'm sorry, what? I'm not familiar with the cold at Valley Forge. Ah, well, the Continental Army, uh, went into encampment at Valley Forge, Pennsylvania. You can still visit it today, very famous site back there. But essentially, uh, they were, they had a battle at Brandywine and uh, right before going into their winter encampment, they got their tails kicked uh, at Brandywine, but, at that point, they were kind of like, hey, you know, we actually think we can take on the British regulars. Um, but they, so they go into winter encampment. Uh, one of the most famous, I mean, when you hear of American military history, uh, the encampment at Valley Forge where they almost froze to death. Mm. You know, they didn't have hardly any food. They weren't. When you go to Valley Forge, Pennsylvania today, there's all sorts of trees there. Um, there weren't any trees when the army army was encamped there because they cut them all down for firewood. Oh gosh, that's um, disease, cold. But when they survived Valley Forge, they came out of it. There was a German uh, named von Steuben that came over. Uh, was then became part of the Continental Army, and he trained them to be to take on the British regulars. So when they came out of Valley Forge in 1778, they really had an army. Before that, it was not as uh, you know, not as not as uh, organized as it should have been. Um, 
anyway, as far as Monroe, back to his situation, he survived the cold and the, the you know, lack of food at Valley Forge. Um, he is not only at Brandywine, but the last battle he's in is at Monmouth. And I bring that up because there's a uh, French uh, officer that shows up named Lafayette, the Marquis de Lafayette. He, uh, Monroe saves uh, or helps the wounded uh, Lafayette in one of the battles. And so Monroe becomes with the French officers that are there and becomes an advocate for France and, and, and a hatred of Britain. So uh, he resigns his commission eventually because essentially they didn't have enough. Uh, well, in fact, Washington promoted him after one of the battles to captain. He was a lieutenant. Okay, so he finds out when he gets promoted to captain, captains have to recruit their own company. So he goes back to Virginia to try to do that. And because he doesn't have money to help get people in there, he's unsuccessful. So when he goes back to the army, he's, uh, he's an aide to uh, a brigadier general named Alexander, uh, fights through uh, Monmouth, uh, is introduced to Lafayette and other French officers, actually helps Lafayette in the Battle of Brandywine. Um, so he turns into a supporter of France and uh, not a supporter at all of, uh, you know, who they're fighting against, the, uh, the Brits. Um, mm -hmm. Because he's, uh, well, he tries one more time, he goes back, he resigns his commitment, Virginia said they were going to fund some uh, some uh, soldiers for uh, efforts down in the Southern Theater, but that doesn't work out. So finally he says, you know, I think I'm just going to try to support public service uh, other ways. Um, so he goes back to William and Mary, studies law, and uh, he studies law with Thomas Jefferson. Jefferson was the governor at that time. He, uh, I mentioned earlier, Judge Jones, his uncle. Jones, mm -hmm. Jones was friends with Jefferson. Gave him, you know, he, he gives Monroe a letter of recommendation. Jeff Jefferson. So studies law with Jefferson, uh, and then in 1782. He is elected to the uh, state legislature and then is also admitted to the bar. Um, he's also admitted to the bar? Yeah, so he's a lawyer now. And okay. one, one thing to keep in mind is, so at this point in history, the, the early, well, we're not even in the United States yet. Uh, um, a lot of times they're having to fund their own way to do things. And... So what happens to Monroe during most of his life is he'll support public service for a while, but then he doesn't have any money and he has to go make some money. So he goes back to Virginia and is a lawyer. Makes so he, money. Has long, he has that long list of resume 
or the history on all of his resume of all these jobs and he doesn't get paid for them? There are some of them he does not get paid for or he gets paid later and he doesn't get as much money as he thought he was going to get. <laughs> now, well, one thing that yeah, yeah, one thing that happens to Revolutionary War soldiers a lot of times is they didn't get paid, but they got paid in land grants. Well, mm -hmm. that, so you may get some some land uh, west of Virginia, but you don't have any money, so you either have to go out there and homestead the land or but anyway, with with Monroe, uh, he does get admitted to the bar and in 1782. He's a lawyer. Uh, he's a member of the executive council, which uh, advises the Virginia governor. In 1783, he's elected to uh, Congress, which is called the Confederation Congress. Uh, if you remember, the in October 1783, the last major battle of the revolution was at Yorktown. And uh, so he goes up to the Confederation Congress and he learns that, uh, you know, the Confederation Congress doesn't have a whole lot of power because they st still are dependent on the states. Um, and ultimately... He thinks the uh, Confederation Congress uh, is a debating society. They endlessly debate things, but they don't have any power to do anything. In fact, that's um, that's why we ultimately went uh, in 1787. We had the Constitutional Convention because the Articles of Confederation weren't working. All the states were doing what they wanted to do. Um, but he, the good thing for Monroe is he meets and uh, is, and he impresses people in Congress. He, he's introduced to people across the country. Uh, he and Madison uh, are of the same mind on what's going on. Um, Congress moves around, and in 1785, they're in New York. And I mention this because that's where Monroe meets his... Uh, future wife, her name is Elizabeth Courtright. Uh, she is very well educated. She has musical ta talent. She's an artist. Uh, and Monroe has, hasn't been too successful with uh, dating up to that point. Uh, he doesn't really have all that great a, you know, ability to chat uh, chat about things. But she is highly educated and he's educated, so they kind of hit it off because she listens to him and questions him, asks intelligent questions. Um, so they get in February of 1786, they get married. Uh, she is 17 years old when they're married and he's 27. Oh boy. So, and he actually wasn't considered all that great a catch for her because he didn't have any money. Um, <laughs> you know, he's this, you know, he has a lot of prestige on what he was doing and his Revolutionary War background and his education and all that. But so he, he both, needs to stop taking those jobs for free then. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, so to make some money, he, they move and 
never been into Virginia, but they moved to Fredericksburg, Virginia, where he opens a law practice. And uh, in 1786, they have a daughter. Her name is Eliza. Uh, she's born in September of 1786. Uh, in 1788, he purchases a farm. And if you go to the University of Virginia today, there's a sign there. That's the location of the, the Monroe farm, the initial Monroe farm. Uh, he is very well considered uh, within Virginia and is, and is elected to the Constitutional Ratification Convention. So 1787, the, the, the Constitution has been produced uh, and you have to have, an, uh, what was it, nine states then to ratify it. Virginia has their uh, ratification convention in 1788. Uh, Monroe is one of the members to that. He is initially for ratification of the Constitution, but uh, ends up voting against ratification because basically, and it's it's a little more involved in this, but it fundamentally comes down to the he thinks the Constitution needs a bill of rights. Um, so he votes against it, but Virginia approves the Constitution by a vote of 89 to 79. And if you remember our talk on Madison, Madison, uh, he uh, works to get the Bill of Rights passed shortly thereafter. So. Uh, but anyway, so it's 1788, uh, and then on to, in 1790, uh, uh, Monroe is elected to the United States Senate. Um, in 17, and I'm, I'm gonna kind of keep going through here in the interest of time. So uh, in 1793, he purchases a, uh, area of land next to Monticello, which is Jefferson's place, and calls it Highland. Mm -hmm. And he gets that going to try and make some money. He's actually a pretty good, uh, a pretty good farmer. He uh, gets crops in there and, and going and makes at least a little bit of that. He is so well thought of, though, in 1794, he is named Minister to France by uh, George Washington. Hmm. He goes over to France and arrives in the middle. When he gets there, as the, so essentially he's like the U.S. ambassador to France. He arrives in the middle of the French Revolution when guillotine, everything's going on, things are in chaos. That doesn't sound like a fun time to go to France. Well, it, in a way it wasn't, but in a way, uh, he was intelligent, got, he had Jefferson enough, he knew how to speak French. Uh, his wife, Elizabeth, was so um, glamorous and well-read, uh, she became very popular with the French, and they called her La Belle Americaine. Oh, that's cute. Yeah, and the quote I have out of the, out of the book here is, they they quoted some of the I think it was the French and said she is the personification of beauty and elegance. Oh, wow! Yeah. Great. Yeah, 
she was very brave too. Uh, the Marquis de La de Lafayette that they that uh, Monroe had uh, helped save in the American Revolution. The Lafayettes were back in France, and Lafayette's wife was in jail. Uh, he was in jail. Yeah. So a lot of good people. Uh, we could spend hours and hours on the French Revolution, but a lot of good people were being executed and jailed. Uh, it mm -hmm. was chaotic. Lafayette's wife was one of the ones that was in jail. Uh, their, their son, too. Well, uh, James and Elizabeth Monroe. Monroe couldn't directly intervene for Lafayette. That wouldn't have been good for the American ambassador to do. So... Mm -hmm. Elizabeth, his wife, says, well, I'll go talk to her and get her out of jail. And that's essentially what happened. Oh, uh, my gosh. So pretty much the wife and Lafayette owes them quite a bit at this point. Yeah, uh, Lafayette, uh, his his wife, and then their son, they, they were indebted to the Monroes. <laughs> they, <too. laughs> nice. Um, and uh, the Monroes... Uh, were popular uh, with the French. They planned a series of dinners uh, for French officials and prominent Americans. Um, they, in 1795, they celebrated the 4th of July, which, uh, which was the first ever celebration of uh, Independence Day held in an American embassy. Uh, they purchased a home. It was called La Folie de la, and I can't even pronounce it. It's Bogier. Uh, this was one of, as talking about uh, Monroe and money and getting into debt, he, uh, it was a pretty nice little place. He thought it was appropriate for, you know, essentially what we would call the American ambassador today. Uh, he assumed the U.S. government would assume ownership and pay him for it eventually when he left, but it was a bad uh, assumption. They didn't do that. He hasn't learned his lesson yet, has he? Well, he, yeah, he... <laughs> No, he hadn't by then. Um, he also helped, uh, in addition to them helping the Lafayettes while they were there, he helped a guy named Thomas Paine, uh, basically helped save his life. Thomas Paine was the one that wrote the pamphlet called Common Sense in the American Revolution, which helped turn things around. And then he's off a, a book called The uh, Rights of Man. Mm -hmm. So. In 1796, so we'll keep pressing on here, uh, he's recalled from uh, being the minister of France. Um, their France, the background during this whole time, and then even up to the War of 1812, France and Britain hate each other. The United States, after getting our independence and becoming, you know, Constitution, George Washington takes over. Washington is trying to negotiate and stay out of the middle of the French and uh, Brits war because they're with each other. They hate each other. We're across the Atlantic. We're trying to stay out between, between it. Um, part of the American government like Monroe and Jefferson they are supporting France. Uh, Washington wants to stay neutral. Some of the Adams administration called them the 
um, the anti-federalists and the federalists. The federalists wanted to have more power in the federal government. Um, Adams was supporting a Britain. So there was, there was even within the American government, there were the ones that supported France, one that supported Britain. But mm -hmm. both of them, and the background ultimately to the War of 1812, were, were attacking American ships. And the Brits in particular would steal the, the sailors off the ships and force them to uh, man their British ships at such a huge navy that they, they didn't have ever enough uh, sailors. So uh, to punish Wait. Americans, they would. Just to recap that, you cut out a little bit. Mm -hmm. so British would kidnap American sailors and have them staff their boats? Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and the Americans weren't, we were, our Navy wasn't strong enough uh, worldwide to much do of anything, do anything about it. The Royal Navy was preeminent. And because... That and, doesn't seem like a wise strategy. Well, the the because uh, <laughs> then you just have a bunch of Americans on your military ships. Well, if you don't have enough sailors for your ships, and you uh, kidnap others to, now those guys weren't happy about it. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, that's what I mean. Like, but you what have the, many people who are going to betray you at any moment. And the the. Kind of the thing to keep in mind through this whole time frame is if the if the American if the British thought that they the Americans were favoring the French, then they didn't like that and they tried to punish us. If the French thought that we were trying to placate the British too much, then they would stop trading with us and try to punish us also. So there was this whole background of France and Britain, you know, when that we would try to stay out of when uh, Monroe was recalled in 1796. Uh, mm. the, the French got really upset because there was an ambassador named John Jay in Britain, and he made a treaty with the Brits, and uh, the French did not like that. Well, Monroe was the French minister. When he got back, he asked, he or he had to defend himself because uh, the Secretary of State, the U.S. Secretary of the State at that time, claimed that he was too, uh, he exceeded his authority in France, shouldn't have done some of the things he did. Um, huh. He gets into an argument with uh, Hamilton. Uh, Hamilton accuses him, Monroe, of some things to the point where they almost get into a duel. And uh, an amazing aside was if they were going to have this duel, Monroe's second was Aaron Burr. Well, you <laughs> really? Years later, Aaron Burr was the one that got into a duel with Hamilton and killed him. So uh, anyway, so in 1799, Monroe is back in Virginia. He is elected governor of Virginia. Um, his, he has a son born, 
And it's interesting, and I don't have a whole lot of detail on why it was so long between, but it was 13 years between when his daughter, first daughter was born and when his son was born. Um, his son lives less than two years. He dies in uh, 1800. Uh, in 1802, he has a second daughter born. Her name was Maria Hester Monroe. Um, so he's governor of Virginia during that time. In 1803, he's appointed back to France and Spain in particular. So Thomas Jefferson's now president. He is in the, they're in the process of trying to get the Louisiana Purchase. Uh, Jefferson already has a minister over in France named Livingston, but he wants to make sure that this goes right, so he sends Monroe over there. Um, Monroe and Livingston then negotiate on behalf of Jefferson the, the Louisiana Purchase. There was... Livingston was not particularly happy to have Monroe show up, but the bottom line is they got the Louisiana Purchase. Uh, Monroe exceeded his authority because you might remember when we, when we discussed the Louisiana Purchase, the French uh, eventually gave up because they had run out of money and soldiers uh, because of the Haitian Revolution. Mm -hmm. There was an issue when Monroe went over there initially, the, he was told, get Western Florida and New Orleans. Well, he was only authorized to spend like $9 million. Uh, but when the French came back and said, well, you know, you can, you can actually have uh, all of this land for $15 million. And so, <laughs> so they signed on to that. He and Livingston. Um, it was actually kind of brave on his part, Monroe's part, because it was like, "Hey, you, you just spent an additional six million that they didn't authorize you." But you know, they they all looked at it and said, "For that amount of money, it's only four cents an acre." Mm -hmm. And then back and forth with Spain, you know, who Spain had Louisiana, and it was France, and uh, there were. It, Kind of a mess, but the bottom line is Monroe was very well thought of ultimately for uh, his France to help uh, get the Louisiana Purchase. Yeah. Uh, in the interest of time, we'll kind of press on. He uh, is then assigned over to the United Kingdom. He's the to England. Uh, he is not well treated there. He shows up in the latter part of 1803, um, is there for a few years. He's initially not treated well, and I thought it was interesting. One of the reasons why was not him per se, but Thomas Jefferson back in the United States, he didn't want to put up with a whole lot of pomp and circumstance. So a lot of times when British uh, important British people would show up in Washington, like the British ambassador or minister to the United States. He didn't dress up for him. 
You know, sometimes he'd walk in out of the, you know, after he'd been riding on his horse and he had muddy boots and, you know. And they, oh, I'm terrible. And, yeah. And when, and when uh, um, they would have dinners, Jefferson, you know, the, all these diplomats from, especially from the United Kingdom, they were used to nice you know, specific ways of doing things, uh, diplomatic procedures. Well, Jefferson was like, eh, sit wherever you want, you know. <laughs> if you want to sit over there, you sit over there, and you sit over here. Well, that that ticked off the the Brits, and that word got back so to uh, the home front, and so they started treating Monroe like, <laughs> If you're going to treat our guys like that, we're not going to pay much attention to you. Oh, so gosh. He had some frustrations. Uh, eventually, Lee comes back to the United States in 1807. Uh, 1808, he acquires a farm west of Washington, D.C. called Oak Hill. Uh, he still has Highland, but acquires Oak Hill. It's closer, so he, if he has a break from what he's doing in Washington, D.C., you can get to Oak Hill a lot easier than he can Island. And I'm jumping ahead to kind of keep going here so that we don't run too long in time. Uh, he is, with his background, all these offices that he's, he's held, uh, he was, you know, James Madison was Secretary of State when uh, all of the Louisiana Purchase and being minister to Great Britain and all that. So he, when Jefferson leaves the presidency and Madison elected, eventually in 1811, uh, James Monroe is appointed Secretary of State. And that's a big deal because up to that point, the Secretary of State was the stepping stone to the presidency. Mm -hmm. So he's Secretary of State. He has a lot of, of course, diplomatic experience and knows the ins and outs of all the conflicts, you know, Spain and France and, you know, United Kingdom and all that. Um, the War of 1812 comes along. Uh, there were... And it, that's a follow-on to what we've already talked about, the impressment of American sailors. Um, the United States was not happy, but we didn't have the power, especially naval power, to do a whole lot about it. Um, though they, they were the so-called war hawks convinced Madison to go to war, which was ironic because um, I'm going to quote from the book here. It said, and this is from the Under 12, and I'm quoting from the Under book. It says, by the end of June, the American embargo, so we had embar embargoed uh, goods from uh, the UK. It says, uh, by the end of June, the American embargo had combined with an embargo by Napoleon on British goods in Europe to bring British industrial production and foreign trade to a near halt. Factories and mills shut down and unemployment soared along with the price of food. 
British exports dropped by one third and employers and workers united in demanding that Parliament restore good relations with the United States by ending impressment, in other words, the stealing of American sailors, and ending other depredation against American ships. On June 23rd, Parliament agreed. The Americans had at last won their long-running conflict with Britain, but the victory became came too late. So, and I'm done quoting there now, long story short, because of the time it took, Madison didn't realize that Parliament had agreed and said, okay, yeah, we'll stop stealing your sailors. And they declare war and we get into the War of 1812. Um, okay, so Monroe's the Secretary of State during the war. Um, the He observed that we were not prepared for the war. Um, some of our Navy uh, actions went pretty well, but you don't really hear a whole lot to this day about leadership in the War of 1812, because especially, uh, you know, it was just not very good, and we got our tails kicked a lot of times. Um, mm -hmm. So, the Secretary of War, which is the essentially the same, what we call the Secretary of Defense today, was a guy named, he was basically worthless. Wait, okay. what? cut out what's that yeah i said you cut out a guy named who his he was his name was armstrong armstrong yeah he was he was the uh, active secretary of war and then secretary of war um he was he was worthless essentially one of the reasons washington dc stay stay again <laughs> I said I could have done a better job. Pretty much anybody could have done a better job. He kept insisting, even though a British army landed, uh, what was it, over in Maryland? And he kept saying, no, they're going to go for Baltimore. They're not going to come for Washington. They're not going to come for Washington. Well, guess what? They came over to Washington and, and trashed the thing, burned the White House down, burned a lot of, a lot of things down. Um, it was so bad that Mad President Madison asked James Monroe to take on being Secretary of War at the same time. So he's both Secretary of State and, you know, essentially Secretary of State and Secretary of Defense at the same time. So Monroe, did he get paid for both roles? Well, he did, but... He uh, didn't negotiate very well for himself, yeah. did he? Back, back in that time. Well, the other thing was a lot of times, even though you were getting paid, like, for example, when he was ambassador over in France, you had to ask for reimbursement later. Well, if they didn't reimburse you, sometimes it was years later and you didn't get it to get the money. I'm like, I mean, you had to come up with the money right now. Even when you're president at that time, you have to ask Congress to do something. And... Mm -hmm. You know, there just wasn't a whole lot of direct reimbursement uh, uh, at the time. Um, anyway, so you might remember after or the so 
Monroe as Secretary of State, they eventually get the Treaty of, of Ghent, it's called G-H-E-N-T. Um, the Battle of New Orleans, where Andrew Jackson has a tremendous victory over the Brits down there, comes essentially after they'd already, the Brits had already agreed to stop fighting. Um, so, and then after the war is over, uh, Monroe is given credit for the, you know, the treaty and all of that allows Western expansion in the U.S. The economy starts turning around. So it's set up for Monroe to be elected president because by the time that the, the election comes around, the economy has turned around. He had good press from his what he did in the uh, in the war, unlike some others. You know, he showed some initiative and tried to get some stuff done. So he is elected president and takes office in March of 1817. Um, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on his presidency. Uh, he did a um, quite well, he did two specific tours around the country. One was to the northeastern western states. Um, the, the White House was finished up, you know, it had been burned down and it took a number of years to get it back. When they moved back into the White House, you know, the Madisons were already gone. So Monroe moves back into the White House. They purchase, uh, well, they, they fill it up with their French, um, furniture and, in, and they purchase some things. To this day, one of the most valuable uh, pieces of furniture in the White House were, that was purchased by the Monroes. It's called the Monroe Plateau. Uh, on, if you look at a large table, a dining table, uh, it's kind of this raised platform, about three inches. It's all in gold. It has candles. Mm -hmm. The Monroes purchased that in 1817. And... Like I say, to this day, it's uh, it's one of the most valuable things in the White House. Do you uh, know how it's worth? Oh, what it's worth today? It's, mm -hmm. it's it's essentially priceless. You can't even you couldn't put a price on it. Um, some of the you know the Monroes when they came back from France when he was minister, they brought a lot of the furniture and things that they had purchased over there. So. Mm -hmm. uh, but they purchased in 1817. It's called the Plateau. Um, but they they now opened the White House up. Um, it's been rebuilt. There was some controversy about why you know the Monroes they got people in there. They didn't like completely open it up to the entire country. They picked and choose who who they had come in. Um, but it was it was in pretty good shape with their the furniture and the way and and Elizabeth oversaw all that and she had very good tastes so everybody was pretty impressed when they finally opened the White House up and uh, and started uh, using it again. Um, he Monroe was so popular that in 1820 he was reelected president and there was no opposition, so he didn't even have. To he didn't even have to run anybody. 
the, oh, that's uh, the other party at that point knew like that this is <laughs> this isn't gonna work so he's reelected in 1820 um, the, uh, the about the only other thing I'll mention one thing that did happen in 1820 during the second term was the entire the whole history of uh, the country and moving west and the slave issue is starting to well it's all it's always been percolating but uh there in 1820 it was called the missouri compromise uh because of the the south kept thinking uh we don't want to get overrun by you abolition uh, nor northerners uh, who don't care for our slavery so they wanted the states in the United States Senate to be equal with the number of slave states and the number of free states. Mm -hmm. So without going into, cause you could spend about an hour talking just about the Missouri Compromise, but in 1820, the Missouri Compromise essentially kicked the can down the road on the whole slavery issue. Um, Monroe was a slave owner he was very similar to Jefferson Madison in that he thought slavery was an evil, but he didn't think you could do anything about it. Hmm. So uh, during his uh, administration, there was a society, it was a private society called the American Colonization Society that thought possibly one of the solutions to slavery was to send send the African-Americans back to the slaves, back to Africa, and give them their freedom over there. Mm -hmm. uh, that American Colonization Society, uh, there is a city over in Liberia to this day that they named after Monroe. It's called Monrovia. So if you look, if you look on a map of Liberia to this day in uh, Liberia, um, the west coast of Africa, that town of Monrovia is, is named after James Monroe. But I don't understand. Why did they name it after him? Well, they, he was, they wanted to honor him and he was, uh, you know, the president at the time. Um, I don't have... I'd have to delve into some of the details, but, uh, but just him, because he was the president. Like, did what did he do? Uh, well, like I said, I I can't tell you specifically. I'd have to do some more research to that, but mm. that was one of the potential solutions. He did not. I know that he didn't try to torpedo it. Um, Jefferson mm. thought that uh, that was might one of the possible solutions might be to recolonize in other words send the slaves back to africa i uh, see but mm. uh i'll try to i'll try to see if i can get some more detail on that but it was called the american colonization society hmm. um monrovia yeah it's called monrovia still called monrovia that that city in liberia is monrovia to this day um, in 1825, after he is no longer president, 
They moved to the uh, Oak Hill 2200-acre farm. It's about 30, 35 miles west of Washington, D.C. They decided to move there instead of Highland. Uh, they had spent time on and off at Highland, but when they left the presidency, they moved to Oak Hill. Um, before, one other thing about his presidency and Elizabeth. Elizabeth um, would hold what they called drawing rooms. She didn't, she wasn't as outgoing as Dolly Madison. Uh, and she cut them down to light and, and dinners in the White House, they cut down to uh, twice a week. Uh, Elizabeth, by this time, was suffering quite a bit of pain. Uh, she had rheumatoid arthritis. So she had to pick and choose her spots because she just was in too much pain. There was a lot of times where her uh, daughter, her oldest daughter, would represent her, Eliza, at functions because she was just in too much pain. Eliza was not the easiest person to get along with. So there was some criticism about that. Um, she just mean? Yeah, she was just mean, kind of had a temper, didn't didn't want to put up with foolishness. So, hmm. uh, but Elizabeth, pretty much right to the end, anybody that interacted with her was always very impressed with her. Um, unfortunately, so they leave the White House in February of 1828. Elizabeth has a seizure and she falls into a fireplace at Oak Hill and is severely burned. Oh my God, that's awful. Yeah. In late 1820, it was a bad year for the Monroes because in late 1828, Monroe himself took a bad fall from his horse. So he's not in very good shape. Uh, he does try to support the Virginia Constitutional Convention, which is for the Virginia Constitution update. That was in 1829, but by then he's not in very good health. In 1830, uh, September of 1830, Elizabeth Monroe dies. Uh, and tragically, I think it's a tragedy, James Monroe then takes all of their correspondence between, you know, over all the years that they were together, married, the letters, her diaries, and he burns it. Oh. So there Gee. is no, even their children, they don't, they don't have one piece of paper that has her writing on it because he has burned it all. I mean, was he just like devastated or was he, that sounds well, like super angry. <laughs> well, he was, he was devastated and he, it was, uh, you might remember uh, George and Martha Washington, Martha burned basically their correspondence. So evidently they thought it was private enough that they didn't want the public to see it. And uh, so he burned it and so essentially it kind of erased elizabeth monroe and i think to this day she is not you know there's not nearly as much information about her and uh history about her because of that um there hardly anybody that i've ever run into knows about you know how she saved the went to the prison and saved the Lafayette's wife and uh, 
and you know her influence on getting the White House up and going again. Um, Monroe, Monroe is so devastated, physically, you know, challenged and out of money that he has to leave Oak Hill. Tries to, he's already sold Highland. He leaves Oak Hill and moves to New York to live with his daughter. Uh, Congress finally approves because he's trying to pay off his debts from his public service. Congress finally in, uh, in 1831 approves $30,000 to help pay off his debts. And, but then he dies on July 4th of 1831. So he died. You might remember Adam, John Adams and uh, Thomas Jefferson died on July 4th of 1826 on the 50th anniversary. Uh, Monroe dies on July 4th of 1831, five years later. So, uh, anyway, that's a very brief discussion of James Monroe. Um, it's kind of sad He is uh, of the Virginia dynasty, I think, one of the least known, but, uh, that, you know, very impressive public service. Yeah. Wow. No, I don't think I ever learned any of those things. About well, one... Pretty much one of the major things toward the end of his presidency, if, if people do know about it, it's called the Monroe Doctrine. Toward the end of his presidency, he basically put out the word, he said, uh, to the European nations, don't be thinking you can come over here into uh, North America or even, you know, this hemisphere, because we're not going to put up with that. Um, and they, they labeled it the Monroe Doctrine. So if anything, history-wise, when you go through the history books, you know, they'll, they might mention his help in the Louisiana Purchase, but they'll probably mention the Monroe, the Monroe Doctrine. Interesting. So, but too bad about Elizabeth. She was, uh, she was very impressive, impressive in her own right. So can you go see these houses that he had or no? Uh, Highland is still, yeah, you can visit uh, Highland. Now, I've, I've only been there once in years, but if you want, if, if you visit like Montpelier and Monticello, it's very easy to visit Highland too. Because now Highland is not nearly as impressive as Monticello, um, but Highland is still there. You can visit it. Oak Hill uh, still exists, but it's privately owned, so you really can't visit Oak Hill nearly as well unless you get some sort of agreement by the owners to do a private tour. So there's not routine uh, touring of Oak Hill. Hmm. Interesting. So. Okay. Well, that was a good one, Dad. Okay. Well, we'll do... Uh, Next one I want to do uh, is John Tyler, uh, oh. our 10th president. He's from Virginia also, but one of our least known and for a while was one of our most unpopular presidents for what he ended up doing later in his life. He ended up uh, in the Confederate Congress, of all things. Oh, gosh. 
Okay, well, I look forward to that because I think I know less about him than I did about this president. (laughs) (laughs) Which is... (laughs) Yeah, if people uh, hire me, I can take them to all these places in, in Virginia. Well, as always, I have information in... Um, our podcast episodes and you can always visit the website which is also listed in the information under um, the uh, summary of each episode so take a look at that and then we will hopefully publish that next episode in a couple weeks okay sounds good all right thank you okay bye Thanks for listening to this episode. We hope you've enjoyed it. If you ever want to get a tour by Doug McCormick, please visit www.historytoursamerica.com. Thanks.